Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Welcome Earnhardt in, Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Here. The podcast. We. The Outdoor Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is Friday, October 22nd, 2021. People, hope everybody is having a great week. Hope everybody is ready for another fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Really think you're going to enjoy today's show. Here is the quick rundown of what we're going to talk about, okay? Monday's show, I talked a little bit about some updates at LSU and very briefly hit on the Dabo Sweeney LSU rumors that Dabo Sweeney has since denied. But I bring it up because you guys responded well. A lot of you had follow-up questions to that. So I do want to talk a little bit more about Dabo. Clemson is going in to this weekend as an underdog for the first time in the regular season forever against Pitt and so I think there's a deeper conversation there of could Dabo ever leave what would be the situation that he would leave for and I think I have an interesting angle on it that you guys probably have not heard very very many other places from there we will get to the week eight slate little Clemson Pitt little UCLA Oregon Ole Miss LSU Tennessee Alabama quiet weekend in college football then from there we'll take another break And we'll do a little college hoops. I have a really fun guest that I really think you'll enjoy. Marcus Carr, the transfer from Minnesota to Texas, widely regarded as the top transfer in all of college basketball. He joins the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. He talks about that loaded Chris Beard team in Texas, in Austin. Why Texas? Did he consider any other schools? on and on and on we'll also do a quick preview of the big 12 as we are now about two weeks away from college basketball it's coming up fast but let's get to the topic of the day and I don't know if it's really the topic of the day but I will tell you it is a very interesting conversation that has come up in college football circles over the last four or five days and that is kind of the present and future of Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. The reason that that conversation has been a great talking point across the sport is for a few different reasons. First of all, Dabo Sweeney's name was linked earlier this week to the LSU job. LSU, of course, has a job opening and a very credible college football reporter, maybe the best insider in college football, Bruce Feldman, put Dabo Sweeney's name as a candidate for the LSU job and we'll explain why in a minute. So that is one reason why we're talking Dabo Sweeney. The other reason, and this is important too, Clemson is an underdog this weekend. 
This is the first weekend that Clemson will enter a regular season ACC game as an underdog since Lamar Jackson was the quarterback at Louisville in 2016. So it has been a long time. His name was in the news. The program, at least for one year, appears to be heading in the wrong direction. And I will say, Dabo is starting to... To say he's feeling the heat is not fair, but people are starting to question him publicly. People are starting to kind of question some of his decision-making in terms of assistant coaches, the offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. And so because of it, all of these things are coming together. And now all of a sudden we have Dabo Sweeney rumors as they're linked to LSU. Don't know if LSU will happen. We will get to that in a minute. But what I would just say is this. I do believe increasingly, if you had asked me a year ago, I didn't have I, I would have guessed I would have never guessed in a million years that Dabo Sweeney would retire anywhere other than Clemson. I do think the possibility is starting to creep up though that he would consider other options, LSU, maybe somewhere else. And I actually have something that I think could happen a couple years down the road that I think nobody is talking about that I think we need to have a conversation about. And so let's get into, first of all, the LSU rumors. I talked about it a lot on Wednesday's show, but just to reiterate, there are a couple reasons why Dabo Sweeney is at least listed as a candidate at LSU. Dabo shot those rumors down right away, but every coach shoots down rumors whenever their name is involved in, 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 in an article like that. The reason that Dabo Sweeney's name is involved in those kind of rumors is for a couple reasons. One, Dabo's a great coach. Two, as I've told you a million times, Scott Woodward, the LSU AD, is the most aggressive AD in all of college sports. He's the guy that hired Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. He's the guy that hired Chris Peterson at Washington. He's the guy that hired, uh, he's the guy that hired, why am I blanking on the coach's name, Kim Mulkey at LSU, three-time national championship coach at Baylor at LSU this spring to coach the women's basketball team. He is fearless, he is aggressive, and I think he understands a few things. One, as I've said a million times, he approaches coaching searches like a fan would. No dollar figure, no name is off the table, no dollar figure is unrealistic. If you can get the A-plus of A-plus of A-plus, it doesn't matter what you pay because it's going to pay itself back in the long run. Look at what Jimbo Fisher has done at Texas A&M over the last couple years. On top of that, I was thinking about this. I think Scott Woodward understands something implicitly that I don't think a lot of other ADs understand. And that is this. It is that everyone's situation, especially in college football and college sports in general, everyone's situation is always changing year to year, month to month, whatever. Bill Belichick once famously said, I am one bad year away from being on the hot seat. Now, Bill Belichick, he is not on the hot seat. Bill Belichick is obviously an icon, but the point that he was trying to make was, I am one bad year from you guys being up my butt about how terrible of a coach I am. And so while Bill Belichick isn't on the hot seat, while Dabo Sweeney certainly is not on the hot seat, what is true is that his circumstance at Clemson has changed even in the last six months from what it was, say, in June, July, and August of this year. For the first time, probably in about eight or nine years, that fan base is really starting to question him. Nobody wants him gone. Nobody's saying he's a bad coach. Nobody's saying he's anything other than a Hall of Famer, an icon, a multiple-time national champion. But there's a couple things. First of all, they're questioning the coaching hires. They're questioning the coaching staff. They're questioning Tony Elliott, the play caller. They're questioning a lot of things there. They're questioning the recruiting strategy. Dabo Sweeney famously does not recruit the transfer portal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And so what Scott Woodward, if he is, if he is truly pursuing Dabo Sweeney or if he is going to at least make a phone call, what he's sitting there and saying is this. What he's sitting there and saying is, um, Coach Sweeney, guessing you're probably happy at Clemson. But if you're unhappy there, 
I got a fan base that's going to love you. They're going to go crazy. They're going to be itching to bring you in to restart this great program. And oh, by the way, you're already going to have a great jumping off point, so come, let's have the conversation. Now, Dabo makes nine-plus million a year. There's a lot of factors. I don't believe that he is a legitimate candidate. And to take it a step further, I believe that Dabo probably, or Dabo's representation, probably helped get this story out there. I made the analogy a few days ago to uh, John Calipari at Kentucky, where it does feel like every single time the Kentucky fan base is a little bit frustrated with them, a little bit disappointed, they go on a losing streak, they take a bad loss in the NCAA tournament. Isn't it funny how Calipari's name always seems to wind up in a coaching rumor at that point? New York Knicks, NBA, UCLA a few years ago before Calipari signed what was essentially a lifetime contract. And to me and to people that know John Calipari or at least know college basketball coaching circles, what they tell you is this. That's just Calipari putting his name out there or having his representation put his name out there just to kind of remind you, hey, Kentucky fans, I know you're mad about the NCAA tournament. I am too. Wish we could have won. But you want to run me out of town, that's fine because I got options and I can go somewhere else. And that's what I kind of feel like Dabo Sweeney is doing right here. I don't believe his name gets into that article by accident. Bruce Feldman is too good of a reporter to put a name as big as Dabo Sweeney is, knowing the repercussions of putting his name in that article if Dabo Sweeney does not want it out there. So I bring it up to say I don't think Dabo Sweeney is going to LSU because I don't think he is interested in leaving Clemson at this particular point. I don't believe that his name was in that article by accident. Now the question becomes, would he ever leave LSU? And I do think there's one scenario. And it's not the scenario that you think. Everybody thinks, well, the only scenario he'd ever leave Clemson is for Alabama. He is a former Alabama player, and the long-held belief, he is going to be the first call to replace Nick Saban. I don't believe he wants to replace Nick Saban, not because he doesn't love Bama, not because he doesn't bleed Crimson, but because of the fact, who wants to replace the greatest coach in the history of college football? It makes no sense. It doesn't add up. I don't know who is going to replace Nick Saban, but if you're Dabo Sweeney and you've built your own Alabama at Clemson, don't think it really makes sense for you to go to Alabama. And I'll take it a step further. You can criticize Dabo for a lot of stuff, and he seems to get criticized an awful lot, by the way. My understanding of Dabo, I've never met him on a personal level. I've, I've interviewed him in group settings or I've asked, at least asked questions in press conferences, not really group settings. But, you know, what I can tell you about Dabo from people who know them is this. He's really smart, and he understands how good he has it at Clemson and how good Clemson has it in the ACC. Do you remember back in whatever it was, June, July, August, when that rumor, when Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC, and then there was that report that Florida State and Clemson reached out to the ACC, or to the SEC to just gauge interest? I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not. But what I can tell you is, you know who pushed back behind the scenes harder than anybody with that rumor? It was Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney said, why would we go to the SEC and go compete against LSU, Alabama, now Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida? We got it pretty good right here in the ACC. And I was told that whether the phone call actually happened or not, even the conversation was not something that Dabo Sweeney even wanted to have. He wanted nothing to do with the SEC. He said, we're good in the ACC. Let's keep winning 12 games a year here. Go to the college football playoff. So I can't see him going to LSU. I can't see him going to Bama. Here is the one place that I could ultimately see Dabo Sweeney leaving Clemson for, and it's a place that's going to surprise you. I believe that Dabo Sweeney, down the road, probably not this year, I think he could potentially leave for the NFL. And I know it sounds crazy, 
Dabo's a college lifer. He's never coached in the NFL. He never played in the NFL. And he has never once seriously been linked to NFL head coaching jobs. I'd take it a step further. The only time his name and NFL has even come up is when he said famously, whatever it was, four or five years ago, if college football players ever get paid, I'm going to go to the NFL. If I'm going to coach pros, I might as well do it at the professional level. But what I do believe is happening is something that is out of Dabo Sweeney's control, and that's this. The game of college football is changing. The game that he dominated, the game that he came up in, the sport that he loves, it is quickly changing around him. I don't really know if he really wants to keep up where college football is going, and so maybe that does mean in two, three, five years, Dabo isn't happy with the state of college football and decides to pursue a path to the NFL. Let me explain. Dabo Sweeney, for people who have not paid attention, he has pushed back on the transfer portal stuff harder than anyone in college sports that I'm aware of. When the one-time transfer rule first came about, there were a lot of coaches that pushed back publicly. And then you know what most of them did? They kind of said, you know what? If this rule's changing, I can't do anything about it. I've either got to adapt or die. And you've seen in, in basketball, John Calipari, taken a bunch of transfers. Tom Izzo took a transfer this offseason. Duke took a transfer this offseason. Bill Self has taken transfers at Kansas. In football, Kirby Smart, several transfers this offseason. Darian Kendrick, star, uh, star cornerback, ironically from Clemson, which we'll get into in a minute. Alabama, Nick Saban, did not want the one-time transfer rule, but when it happened, you know what he did? Went out and got a playmaking receiver in Jamison Williams, got a true elite linebacker in Henry Toto, and Alabama has not missed a beat. You know, the one coach that is still pushing back on the transfer stuff, it is Dabo Sweeney. He has been very public that he runs a developmental program, that he recruits kids out of high school. He doesn't, uh, you know, once a kid commits, they don't go on other visits. He doesn't put out an offer without. He has a very specific way of doing things, and it has largely worked to this point. And one of the ironclad things that he has said is, we are not taking transfers. Now, he has kind of, kind of, you know, push back on that a little bit where he has said, we haven't necessarily seen the right opportunity. We've never said that we will never do it, but right now we have no interest in doing it. Here's the problem though. Part of the issue with Clemson is why they're struggling. There's a million reasons why they're struggling. DJ's not good enough. Offensive line can't block. Run, running backs, depth is, is thin. But part of it is their depth is thin because they refuse to go to the transfer portal and they are hemorrhaging players the other direction that are transferring out of the program that say, I don't have that direct path to play at Clemson, so I'm going to go play somewhere else. I mentioned Darian Kendrick. That was a little bit of a different deal. He was a really elite player at Clemson. He got into some trouble, ends up transferring to George. Okay, nothing Dabo can do about that. But Wisconsin's leading rusher, Ches Malusi, transfer from Clemson. Running back to Marcus Bowman at Florida. Running back transfer from Clemson. Um, on top of that, it is probably worth noting uh, that Lynn J. Dixon, who was the third leading rusher behind Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence last year, just left in the transfer portal. Had two other players in the last month leaving the transfer portal. Minnesota starting defensive nose tackle from Clemson in the transfer portal. And so what has happened is they have lost player after player after player after player in the transfer portal, and they have not replaced them with veterans. And so what you're seeing is everybody else is able to catch up because, yeah, they might lose some players, but they're going out and getting them. This is not a direct apples to apples because these teams almost certainly won't play each other. But you know how Michigan State got so good so fast? 
Mel Tucker and Michigan State signed like 21 transfers this offseason. They said, the guys we got aren't good enough. We don't have enough competition in this locker room. We're going to go hit the portal hard. Kenneth Walker, leading rusher in America, transfer. Several other key contributors are transfers. I mentioned it. Nick Saban, Alabama, best wide receiver, best linebacker, transfers. Uh, Oklahoma, by the way, starting left tackle, running back, transfers. Before at Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, transfers. LSU, Joe Burrow, transfer. The one place that isn't taking transfers is Clemson. And so I bring it up with the NFL because Dabo can't keep living like this. And between those comments, between clearly he was not in favor of paying players. We now have NIL. He has been supportive of NIL. I'm not putting words in his mouth. But it's clear that this sport of college football is changing. I'm not sure that he wants to change with it. Not a criticism of him. Not he's a bad person. He's a bad human being. But doesn't he seem kind of like the old coach that's just trying to stick to what he did forever, trying to stay true to who he's been, and the world is changing, and he's refusing to change with it? Seems like, uh, you know, some of the coaching stuff with the staff. He's had the same staff in place forever. That's been a great thing at Clemson, the continuity of the staff. Now that staff looks a little bit overmatched now that Trevor Lawrence, a once-in-a-generation quarterback, isn't there. The recruiting with the transfer portal stuff. It's great to bring in all these five stars, but you need to add depth. You're going to lose guys in this transfer portal era. You can't expect to sign 25 freshmen every year when you're losing 5'10 transfers in the upper class and have those freshmen step in and replace them right away. You have the comments about, I'll leave for the NFL if they ever pay players. I know it's not apples to apples with NIL. I just bring it up. Because when I look at Dabo Sweeney, I see a guy, he's starting to get a little bit older, he's been stuck in his ways, he's done things his way, he's been unapologetic, by the way, for a lot of things that have happened off of the field that have nothing to do with football, um, you know, whatever. And I just bring it up to say, I don't think the NFL thing is going to happen, but he is in his early 50s. And, you know, if, if this college football thing keeps going on the trajectory that it is going on and Clemson can't, can't bounce back next year or the year after and they are no longer that elite program that is just steamrolling everybody and everybody else starts to catch up because they're using transfers and Clemson using young guys and what does it all mean? I'm just saying, I could see the scenario where Dabo Sweeney considers going to the NFL. Call me crazy. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. We'll do a little week eight college football. We'll probably start with Clemson Pitt, honestly. That's the most interesting point spread of the, the week. So we'll preview week eight in college football. We'll do some college hoops. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Really excited to talk with you guys now as we get ready for this week eight slate in college football. Kind of an interesting slate, not a ton of mega games, but there is enough to keep us entertained, keep us interested, and there are obviously going to be great storylines coming out of this weekend. Before we get to the week eight slate, though, I do want to welcome back our partners, DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. They have been great to us, and here's the deal. October, best month of the year. For sports fans, we got college football, we got pro football, we got MLB playoffs. You want to bet on any of them, we'll have the link in the show description. But here's the best part. Basketball is back and DraftKings Sportsbook has listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast covered with an unbelievable offer. New users can bet $5 on any game and if their team wins, they automatically win $200 in free cash. That's right. 
one game, one money line win, $200 in free cash. Just pick a team. If they win, you win $200 in free cash. No point spreads, no over-unders. Just take a team. Golden State, Brooklyn, Detroit, Boston, Houston, San Antonio, whoever. $5, they win $200 in free cash. Here is what you got to do. Click the link in the show description. Sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team. And if your team wins, you get $200 in cash thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, partners of the Aaron Torres podcast. It is the best offer in sports betting. It's going right now, so make sure to act. I should mention, by the way, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, one 800 889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be plenty. 21 plus or over. 18 plus in Wyoming. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $1 bet. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, let's get into this week eight slate. And I will readily admit that at first glance, it does not look like the incredible slates that we have had over some of these other weeks. You go back to week five, week six, we had Ole Miss, Alabama. We had Georgia, Arkansas. We had Alabama, Texas A&M. We had Ole Miss, Arkansas. Georgia, Auburn, Kentucky, Auburn, Penn State, Iowa State. You go on and on down the list. We've had some great games over the last couple weeks. And this week, it's a little bit quiet for a few reasons. One, we do still have a bunch of teams on buys. Georgia, number one team in the country, is off this week. Kentucky's a top 15 team. Michigan State's a top 15 team. Auburn's a top 20 team. Arkansas is off. So there's just a bunch of teams that are really good that are not playing. And what I would also say, we got two mega games next weekend with Penn State traveling to Ohio State and Michigan traveling to Michigan State. So the slate is going to ramp up as all these teams get in their buys here in the middle of October, end of October, and as we get some great games over the final month of the regular season. But with that said, I stew, I, I stew dill. I do still feel like the Week 8 slate is a really intriguing one because I do think it is going to tell us a lot about the bigger picture of some of these teams, the trajectory of some of these programs, where is the season going, all of that good stuff. And so with that said, let's get to the Week 8 slate. And I'm going to start with, frankly, the team that I just spent 20 minutes talking about a minute ago. And that is our old buddy, Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. And it's for the reason that I said, you know, I said, whatever, 12, 15 minutes ago. It's because for the first time since Lamar Jackson played at Louisville, Clemson is a regular season underdog at Pitt. It is a three-point spread. Pitt is a three-point favorite. And I think when a lot of us saw that line earlier in the week, the first reaction was, you know, the odds makers, they finally caught up with Clemson. They've may have been making Clemson a huge favorite. It hasn't even been close. All these games have been down to the wire. Clemson easily could have lost a couple of these games. Vegas has finally caught up to Clemson. I actually don't think it's that at all. I think if you actually look at these two teams, Clemson and Pitt, how they are performing, I think this line should actually be much bigger than the three points that it is in the DraftKings Sportsbook. Starting with Clemson, listen, 
you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna belabor the point. I just spent 20 minutes talking about Clemson, but the bottom line, this is just not a very good football team right now. It is a a a boatload of different scenarios all coming together at one. First of all, DJ Uyghonlele, wish him well. Don't wish ill will on any individual player. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. That is indisputable at this point. 55% completion percentage, four touchdowns, and three interceptions through six games of the season. Okay? Six games into the season, four touchdowns, three interceptions, 55% completion percentage. You can blame some of the problems on other things, which we'll get into in a minute. He's just not good enough, DJ, and it's I don't root against him, but he's not that guy. He hasn't figured it out, and that is the root of the problem. Beyond that, in his defense, he hasn't gotten very much blocking up front. He's been sacked 12 times. Clemson is struggling to run the ball. I don't know how great the, the Clemson receivers are this year. Joseph Ngata and Justin Ross are the two stars. Are they the difference makers that Clemson has had in the past with DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, uh, Mike Williams, all of these great receivers that have come through? I don't know. But I think when you factor in all of it, you have what we have at Clemson right now, which is a team that in terms of total offense, is ranked 115th nationally and 111th in passing. They are not good. It is not getting figured out. This is week six. You don't all of a sudden flip a switch in week six. And if you want the most damning stat about Clemson, here it is. In five games against Power 5 opponents this year, they have not scored more than 21 points in any of those games. And the 21 points came in overtime against NC State. They have not scored more than 19 in regulation against anybody. That was against Boston College at home. Boston College was playing a backup quarterback, and Boston College was driving to win that game before they had a fumble in the red zone. Uh, we, we, we don't have to keep debating this. Clemson is not good this year. And on the flip side, Pittsburgh is a lot better than I think a lot of people realize. Pittsburgh 5-1 and one right now. Here's the catch, though. We think of Pitt as this offense, this uh, three yards in a cloud of dust, the, you know, the, the old school Pitt offense. They are moving the ball like crazy. This stat is going to blow you away. Ohio State is the number one scoring offense in college football right now, which is kind of an amazing stat in and of itself considering how they looked early. They're averaging 48.5 points per game. You know who is number two? It is the Pitt Panthers are the number two scoring offense in college football. They surpassed Clemson or uh, Coastal Carolina earlier this week after Coastal Carolina lost. And then in terms of total offense, total yardage, Pitt, believe it or not, the Pitt Panthers rank number four in college football, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Western Kentucky, and Pitt. And so you look at this team. They move the ball well. They score a ton. Here's a crazy stat for you. Clemson hasn't scored more than 21 points uh, in any regulation of any game. Pitt has only scored under 41 points once. And it's not as though they haven't played anybody. They've played Tennessee. They've played, uh, they played at Virginia Tech a few weeks ago. They played at Boston College. That Virginia Tech game, they won 28-7. That was the only game that they scored under 41 points. And so you could go on and on. Their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, 21 touchdowns, one interception. That's what would concern me if I'm a Clemson fan. There's one way for Clemson to win this game. They got to force turnovers. They got to get easy points. I don't see it happening against one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football. I would mention Kenny Pickett, Heisman odds, just telling you, not telling you how to place your money, but I will leave a link in DraftKings Sportsbook for the Heisman odds because, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett, I think, could be a factor in that Heisman race if he has a big game this weekend. So, yeah, Clemson's an underdog, and I think it's totally justifiable. Let's move on. Let's talk about some of the other games. Uh, let's get to the SEC. Fascinating game. 
between our LSU Tigers, America's LSU Tigers, and the Ole Miss Rebels. And we all know what the two narratives are coming into this game. From LSU's perspective, it is how does this team handle the news of the week? Last week, they were clearly fired up. They're playing a rival. Everyone has doubted them. Coach O is on the hot seat. Now we know Coach O is gone. We know Coach O will not be back next year. Do these players at LSU continue to rally around him? Or on the flip side, do they say, he's out, we're going to start looking at our options, we may be out as well, whether it's the transfer portal, the draft, we don't know who our coach is going to be, something to consider. From the Ole Miss perspective, their quarterback, Matt Corral, is banged up. Ran the ball 30 times against Tennessee last weekend. And when you look at what happened, what is the byproduct of that, this is the bottom line. You look at Ole Miss, he is banged up. Lane Kiffin said he's not positive he's gonna if, if he is going to play, but even if Matt Corral is going to play, I'm just telling you, he's going to be less than 100%, and that impacts this game because Matt Corral, I don't think people realize, I say it all the time on this show, we think of all these offenses super high-powered as pass-happy, throw the ball 50 times a game. They run the ball a lot at Ole Miss, and Matt Corral is their leading rusher. I cannot imagine that Lane Kiffin is going to let him loose offensively because here's why. They don't have a bye coming up. They're one of the few teams. They had their bye super early before the Alabama game. So all these teams that are getting byes now, Alabama, LSU, have a bye next week. Ole Miss had their bye. They still got to play Auburn. They still got to play Texas A&M later in the year. They still got to play a bunch of marquee games. And so Ole Miss right now has a path to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. They would obviously need Alabama to take another loss for that to happen, and they would need to win out. But they can't risk Matt Corral getting banged up even further in this game. If he plays, I don't think he will be the regular Matt Corral. And then I will also say this. LSU has found a run game over the last couple weeks, and I will also add Ole Miss's run defense is really, really, really bad. So I was kind of blown away by this step. Ole Miss ranked 111th in rushing defense, okay? Pretty bad. I think we can all agree out of 130 teams, that's terrible. If you just took their their stats against SEC opponents, they are giving up 260 yards per game on the ground. That would rank 129th out of 130 teams. Only Missouri is worse. That's right. UConn and UMass have better rushing defenses than Ole Miss over the last five, six weeks. Now, granted, they're not playing SEC opponents, but you kind of get the point. They can't stop the run. I could see the scenario where LSU keeps this close. LSU is a nine-point underdog. I like LSU. Let's go to the Pac-12. You know, Oregon is at UCLA and a couple things here. One, this was obviously supposed to be the marquee of all marquee games in the Pac-12 this season. UCLA beats LSU. Oregon beats Ohio State. Could this be a playoff play-in game? Yes, stupid idiots like myself where Aaron was wrong. Uh, maybe not a play-in game. But what I would also say, Oregon still has a pretty clear path to the playoff. Right now, they're 5-1. and one. You know, you look at their situation right now, they still have that win over Ohio State that keeps looking better and better every week. They need, a, they need to keep winning. They need Ohio State to keep winning, and they are going to be in great position to make the playoff. The problem is I don't see the scenario where they keep winning. This is a team that has not played very well since that win over Ohio State easily could have lost last week to Cal coming off of a bye the week before they did lose to Stanford and so they're just banged up and they are trending in the wrong direction the positive news for Oregon they do get Joe Moorhead their offensive coordinator back he had apparently a very a very scary health condition that was addressed before the Stanford game he coached from the box last week he will be back on the sidelines this week but what would, what would concern me if I was an Oregon fan or an Oregon backer 
Oregon is a slight underdog, which first of all tells you a lot. Number 10 team in the country against an unranked team, and they're the, the underdog. That tells you a lot about what Vegas and the odds makers at DraftKings Sportsbook say. But on top of that, this is what scares me. There is a very, we're, we're now in week eight of college football. UCLA played in week zero, which means that we now have nine weeks to have figured out UCLA. There is a very clear path to beat UCLA. You have to be able to stop the run, and you have to be able to pass the ball. UCLA runs the ball very effectively. They have a great run defense, but they cannot stop the pass. That's how Fresno State beat them. Fresno State threw for almost 500 yards in that game. They have an elite passing attack. UCLA couldn't stop the pass. Here's the problem. The two things that the one thing that UCLA does great, Oregon is not in position to stop. Oregon is banged up at linebacker. They have multiple starting caliber linebackers out for this game, although they do get one back. And it concerns me that they'll be able to stop the run. Kind of a middle of the pack run defense this year that is still banged up coming into this game. On top of that, they do not have much of a passing attack with Anthony Brown, 87th nationally. And so you bring it up, listen. I'm rooting for Oregon. I'm rooting for the Pac-12. I would like to see Oregon in that college football playoff. But not only do I not think they're running the table, the two-and-a-half point spread uh, as UCLA a favorite, that tells you everything you need to know about this game. The odds makers at DraftKings like UCLA. America likes UCLA. Be very wary of that. Let's get to another kind of game that's just kind of sort of interesting lying under the radar. USC at Notre Dame. I mean, this used to be like the game on the calendar every year. A little bit not so much this year when UCLA has, USC has an interim head coach. Notre Dame's kind of meh this year. Notre Dame's still a seven-point favorite coming into this game. Bizarre game, interesting game, and it is kind of, in many ways, in my opinion, like that UCLA-Oregon game I said a minute ago. The fact is, there is a very clear way to beat USC. USC, by the way, I should mention, 2-2 two and two since Clay Helton has been fired. They are 2-0 and oh on the road. 0-2 at home so somehow some way they play better on the road part of it is they've just played better teams at home but when I look at this game USC is who we thought they were they're soft in the trenches they don't run the ball they are a great passing offense though number 11 nationally in the pack tw- in in the country number one in the pack 12 Notre Dame can't really stop the pass 86 nationally against the pass and you look at who they've played it's not as though they've played a bunch of great offenses Purdue's probably the best one, and they threw for over 300 yards against Notre Dame. Right under 300 yards, I should say. Speaking of Notre Dame, I'm just going to say it. Like, what do we really know about Notre Dame at this point? It sounds crazy. It sounds stupid, I know. But here's Notre Dame's resume through this point in the season. Three-point overtime win at Fresno, at, at uh, uh, Florida State. excuse me. Three-point win over Toledo. They beat Purdue, but it was a one-possession game late into the fourth quarter. They beat Wisconsin, but it was a 10-10 game going into the fourth quarter. They scored 31 points on multiple Grammar Mertz interceptions. They lose to Cincinnati, and they they beat Virginia Tech where they had to rally late. So this is another team. Look, I like Notre Dame. I defend Notre Dame. I fight for Brian Kelly. But this is a team that that is right now sitting at what five and one, and very easily could be two and three, three and or, or, or three and four. Excuse whatever it is. I'm not good at math. Okay, leave me alone. Big show today. A lot a lot going on in Torres's head. But whatever, do the math. They could be they're five and one. They easily could be three and three, four and two. I think that's the I think that's better math. But I don't believe this is an elite team. The other thing is they got like real quarterback problems. Jack Cohn is the guy. Brian Kelly is loyal to him. But Tyler Buckner played last game. Drew Pine played a few games ago against Wisconsin. And they don't have a quarterback. And the one thing about Brian Kelly, I think we, we all love Brian Kelly as the coach. I know a lot of you don't like him as a guy. But 
you go back to those first six, seven years of him as the Notre Dame head coach, he rarely has been able to figure out the quarterback position outside of the last couple of years when Ian Book brought some stability to that position. And so I look at Notre Dame, I like Notre Dame, I think they win, but the seven points feels like way too much to me. All my picks, by the way, at Aaron Torres online. I'll give you all seven of my picks in a minute. Last couple games, you know, Bama, Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, Tennessee starting quarterback is banged up. We don't know if he's going to play. I don't know from a gambling, like there's nothing to really break down here. Bama's awesome. We know that. I thought they did an incredible job of bouncing back last week against Tennessee. But you look at Bama coming into this game, I don't know what to expect from them as they go into a bye. I think they'll be good. I really don't know what to expect from Tennessee. I mean, you're talking about a Tennessee team now that in, uh, you know, is heading into this game with Hendon Hooker, less than 100%. This offense completely took off when he took over. And I think we all know what happens if Joe Milton takes over at quarterback. It ain't going to be pretty. We saw how that game against Ole Miss ended. I bring it up to say I have no strong opinions about this game. Alabama is going to win. It's just a matter of how it goes down, what it looks like, and much of that will depend on Hendon Hooker. The last one I'll tell you, you know, Wisconsin is a three-point favorite at Purdue. That line shocks me, okay? And I know part of it is, you know, Purdue, they're coming off a big win. Are they really that good? All that kind of good stuff. But I bring it up because Wisconsin is not good. And the thing about Wisconsin, they turn the ball over way too much. They have, uh, they actually have the worst turnover margin in college football. But then on top of that, um, you know, the pass defense has been a little bit suspect when it comes to the ability to stop the deep ball. Well, Purdue's a great passing team, top 10 passing offense in college football. David Bell, 11 catches against Iowa last week. Three-point spread shocked me. I like Purdue to win that game outright. Uh, t- uh, that That's really... What was I going to say? So that is really all there is to the Week 8 slate. I will say, keep an eye on this. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. They all play crap this week. Ohio State is at Indiana. Michigan hosts Northwestern. Penn State hosts Illinois. Those are three games in which I believe all three teams are not going to show much. They are not going to put much on tape. They are just going to try to get in, get the win, get out, get the dub so what I would tell you is keep an eye on those games because we're going to see a little bit in the lead up to next week's games when we really get a feel for these teams I will tell you my official college football picks you can read about them at AaronTorresOnline.com. I already mentioned I do like Purdue plus three against Wisconsin I do like Pitt minus three against Clemson I do like LSU plus nine against Ole Miss I do like UCLA minus two and a half against Oregon I do like USC plus seven against Notre Dame and I would mention I do like also another game that I have not mentioned I think the Illinois Penn State game goes under 46 and a half so yeah interesting week eight slate in college football and uh, it'll be a fun weekend and I'm really looking forward to this weekend really also looking forward to the week nine slate next week when it gets really good again Penn State Ohio State Michigan and Michigan State this is what I want to do though I do want to take a quick break. Before I do, I want to transition some college hoops because as I told you, college hoops is coming back here very soon. Cannot believe two weeks from this Tuesday, Kentucky Duke, Michigan State, Kansas at the Champions Classic. Cannot believe how fast college football or college basketball, excuse me, is coming back. One of the marquee players in all of college basketball this year will be Marcus Carr. For those of you who are not diehard college basketball fans, Marcus Carr was an all-Big Ten 
guard last season at Minnesota, decided to enter the NBA draft. Then at the last second, decided, you know what? Rather than pursue the NBA, rather than be a potential second-round pick, I am going to come back to college basketball. And boy, oh boy, did he choose an interesting place. Marcus Carr is headed to the University of Texas. For those of you who are not diehard Texas fans, what you need to know, Texas now has the former Texas Tech head coach, Chris Beard, as its head coach, and they are building a monster. I talked about it a ton on this podcast throughout the offseason, but Chris Beard loaded up in the portal, and he is building what I believe will be a consistent year-in, year-out national championship contender, no different than Duke, no different than Kansas, no different than Gonzaga, no different than where UCLA hopes to be under Mick Cronin, Michigan under Juwan Howard, Alabama under Nate Oates, Arkansas under Eric Musselman. I truly believe that Chris Beard would not have left Texas Tech for Texas if he did not believe he could build them into a consistent national championship contender. And the face of his program this coming season will be a guard named Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr will be joining the Aaron Torres podcast for a really fun interview coming up where he talks about the decision to go to Texas, the decision to push off the NBA draft, his relationship with Chris Beard. He gives a scouting report on the team. And this is the start, guys. We're getting ready for college hoops. I've talked about it about once a week on this show here over the past month or so, but I'm just telling you, it's coming fast. Marcus Carr, we're going to have some other big guests over the next couple weeks, but now it's time to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast YouTube channel. Ton of good content there. We're blowing up. I appreciate all the support there. Also, Aaron Torres Online for not only my writing, but we have some really, really talented writers there as well. That is all for this show. It is time to get to Marcus Carr. Before we do, I just got to say one thing. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to, I don't know, Dabo Sweeney refusing to hit the transfer portal. That is all for this segment. Marcus Carr coming up. I will be back on Monday to recap another crazy weekend in college football. All right, joining me via Zoom, very excited about this interview. He is a nominee for the Koozie Award, which goes to the nation's top point guard, all Big Ten guard last year, now a member of the University of Texas. Marcus Carr is joining the Aaron podcast. Marcus, how are you doing today, man? Doing well, I'm doing well. Um, can't complain at all. First of all, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, in this world of, of the world that we live in in college basketball, uh, you know, they're, they're in new places this year. You didn't get to Austin, I believe, until I think like the middle of July. So how does it just feel, first of all, to just hear Marcus Carr, Texas Longhorn? What's the first thing you think of when you when you hear or see that? Uh, surreal, to be honest. Like you said, uh, definitely never thought, you know, I'd be here, especially starting out my journey. Um, but, you know, I'm here now and I, I couldn't be more excited. So let's take us through the actual process. I mean, you obviously, we understand, 
you know, you guys, you individually had a great season at Minnesota last year. There were highs and lows. Coach Patino's unfortunately let go. Um, and you kind of duel, you know, you declare for the draft and go through the draft process. And, and, you know, I think at the time, very publicly, we're saying my focus is on being a pro, but I want to leave this, this option open uh, to return to college. So, Take us through it because I, I you know, I, I do believe there was a point even in the summer where it seemed pretty, pretty like you were definitively going to pursue a professional option. Um, take just take us through the entire process from the beginning to kind of uh, how you, you know, just really more the the NBA draft process and the transfer process is really the best way to put it. Right. Um, well, you know, going in, I did put my name in the portal just kind of as you know, uh, I guess a safety net kind of thing. That's how me and my people called it. But yeah, my, my focus was definitely 10 toes, you know, in the draft, trying to make my dream a reality and, and get to the next level. Um, going through that process was fun. Um, I learned a lot, got a lot of feedback. And, um, you know, once you kind of realized that uh, I might be coming back to school, um, you know, we started looking at our options and, and I had already actually been in touch with coach um, since the spring when he first got to Texas and, you know, he let me know that, you know, I was definitely a guy that, that they wanted and he respected that I was going through the process and, and respectfully gave me my space, but at the same time still let me know that, you know, I was, I was a priority for them and, you know, we just kind of built our relationship from there and I kind of, kind of just kept one eye on, on, on what he was building and the team he was putting together and it's obviously pretty special. So, um, you know, once it came down to decide and I decided I was coming back, it was, it's kind of a no-brainer for me. Me and Coach had a relationship. I've seen the great team that he put together. And, you know, our goals really aligned and what we were trying to do. So, you know, it was Texas. So, dumb question. You know, guys like me in the media talk about portal, this, that. What is the what is it like when you put your name in the transfer portal? I mean, obviously, I know you sometimes may have a point of contact. Coaches might not be reaching out to you directly. But even knowing that you were pursuing professional options, what is the first day or two like once – that, you know, once that name, whoever it is in compliance officially hits click and your name is in that portal. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's definitely haywire. Um, you know, reaching out to you at one time, it's kind of different because you're getting recruited all over again, but it's kind of like jam-packed. You know, in high school, it might be a little spread out. Um, you're not really getting, you know, calls from everybody every single day. But, you know, when, when your name's in the transfer portal and, and, and coaches see that name, it's like, you, could, you know, they're all trying to hit you up that same day. So, it was definitely pretty hectic and uh, and all overwhelming, but it was fun. How is the recruitment different? You know, you're you're a grown man now. You're 22, 23. Um, you know, I've talked to other players. You know, the bells and whistles, the facilities, all this, and then Texas has incredible facilities. We all know that. But you know, for for a player of your stature, it feels like the the gear and the this and the that it isn't as important as it was when you're 17 18 years old so uh, to be re-recruited this time at, at 22 23 years old how different was that as opposed to when you were 16 17 18 the first time around uh I said just that it was super different not a lot of the fluff um you know not really talking about gear facilities or or any of that stuff it was really just about you know plans and and, and goals and how we could execute those and how they align. So definitely a lot of different conversations, uh, more basketball oriented and obviously in a shorter, um, shorter time frame. Um, but, you know, me and coach built a great relationship throughout it and uh, it was pretty fun. So, you know, you mentioned a few times the relationship with coach. I mean, as, as, 
you're going through the draft process, you know, when you decided to come back, I mean, it, you know, you, you put out a list of four schools, but it sounds like Texas was the leader from the beginning. I don't want to put words in your mouth. And, and there were three, obviously other great, great schools, but was Texas always kind of the spot that made the most sense for you? When you, when you decided to come back, was it Texas or bust? Did you really seriously consider other places or was it pretty much, I've been in touch with coach this entire time. He's respected me and not, Again, not to say the other coaches didn't respect you, but that he gave me right. a space and that relationship was built over the last two, three months while I was testing the draft process. Right. I mean, um, I would definitely say that Texas was, was pretty much at the top of the list the whole time. Kind of like I said, uh, like you referred to, you know, he gave me my space. We were still able to build a relationship. And, um, like, yeah, just the team he was putting together was super special. And, uh, you know, I did consider other schools just to, you know, weigh my options and, and see what else was out there just to make sure, you know, I was being thorough and, and doing my due diligence. But um, Texas was definitely a place that, you know, I want to go from the start. Very good. Um, you know, first of all, what is Coach Beard like, right? I mean, we in the media, and I, I've spent some time around him. I've interviewed him. He's always been great to me. But, you know, we, we see this guy on the sideline that has had so much success in such a short amount of time. And then he comes to Texas. And as you said, you monitored who he's bringing in the types of players, the types of, of talent, guys like yourself. I know you're at Big 12 Media Days, I didn't even mention, but, you know, Timmy Allen is with you, a fellow all-conference player at a power conference school. Um, what What is Coach like behind the scenes? Because it feels like he's a million miles an hour all the time, but it, it feels like – I'll, I'll, I'll lay out because it sounds like, uh, you know, you got some good stories. Uh, yeah, no, Coach is definitely – Coach is Coach. Like, you know, everything that – you know, people say about him, he's, he's super uh, detail-oriented, always, you know, thinking about the game, always thinking about winning for sure. Um, but, you know, he definitely has his fun too. You know, joke, uh, coaches are jokes there. He likes to crack jokes and, and have fun. But, you know, it definitely is all about winning most of the time. You mentioned the, the group that he's put together. Tell us about some of your new teammates. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could really go down the line about all of them, to be honest. But I guess starting with, you know, Timmy. Uh, T.A. is some, you know, I played against him before, but always been a fan of his game and, and the way he's worked. But getting to be his teammate and hearing his story and then, you know, competing with him every single day in practice has been has been amazing. He's a great player. He does everything on the court. Um, Trey, another super talented player, super skillful, three-level sport. Um, that's going to help us a lot. Um, then we got Christian, a uh, great athlete, airspace guy, defender. Um, can really drive to the rim as well and, you know, starting to expand his game, being able to shoot. So um, he's going to help us a lot. And, of course, we got Dev uh, coming from Kentucky, learning a lot from last year and coming in, just being a pest, being a dog on defensive end and, and making plays. And, obviously, we got uh, Courtney coming back, um, a huge piece for us coming back, being able to score the ball um, and, and defend at a high level, um, just have a great motor. And Drew, obviously one of the great scorers um, from the conference. And, you know, he's coming back and, and adding more things to his game. So that's going to be exciting playing with him. And uh, we, got, we got Brock, a great energy guy coming in. and Really does a lot for the team. Rebounds, brings toughness. Um, a great defender and a great team guy. Just always out there talking to people. We got JT, young guy, coming in, freshman, super, super talented. Bro. The, the the ceiling for him is crazy. We say it all the time. Like, it might not seem like it, bro, because you, you play with all of us and all older guys. And, you know, it might seem a little different, but, you know, if he runs his own race and, and keeps working, which he does, um, you know, he's going to have a bright future. And, uh, 
Let me ask you, you know, I'll ask you a super nerdy college basketball question. At least seven people will get, but who has more energy on a day-to-day basis, Brock Cunningham or Avery Benson? Ooh. Good Ooh. one, right? Oh, like that might be a tie. That might yeah. be a tie. Brock and AB, they, they bring it every day for sure. Um, those are two guys you can always count on to have the energy for sure. Fantastic. couple quick questions. We'll get you out of here. First one, um, you know, what was it like for you personally to, to step in so much talent? But as I, I referenced at the top, you know, you went through the process as you should have, you know, got all your feedback. But, you know, you kind of showed up to campus a, a little bit later than the rest of the guys. I mean, obviously, I know they embraced you, all that stuff. But what is it like as a player of your caliber? We know what you've accomplished at, at, at your stops across college basketball. But to get in so late to have to learn everything new, I mean, it's, it seems like it's going well. It seems like you, you know, you, you and the guys are getting along great. But just curious how that process works, just because it's not often that you get a player of your caliber making a decision, and then showing up in whatever it was uh, beginning the middle of July. Right. Um, you know, it's been like I said, they've embraced me. It's been fun. There's definitely, you know, an adjustment period just to, you know, style of play and, and how things worked. But, you know, coach, the coach and the whole staff and the guys all worked with me to, you know, get me integrated. It was a lot of film work, uh, um, a lot of work in the film room, um, either, you know, showing practice clips or even, you know, stuff from tech, just kind of getting to understand conceptually, you know, what, what would be going on defensively and offensively. And, you know, once it clicked, it just clicked. And, you know, I would say I'm completely comfortable out there now and, I'm definitely caught up and up to speed, so it's, it's been fun. Last couple questions, and they're kind of in the same vein. You know, you went through the whole roster, insane talent there. I've talked about it on this show at length, the, the, the group that Coach Beard has put together. But there is kind of a narrative. Are there too many talented guys? You have multiple returnees, multiple all-conference guys. What, what would you say to somebody that says, you guys are good, maybe you're too good because you've got 10, 11 guys that can play on any given night? Right. I mean, you know, we get this question a lot in terms of, you know, kind of just that or, or even just chemistry. But um, I think people would be surprised to know that, you know, it's definitely not this far from the problem. Um, coaches constantly in practice having to get us to shoot, shoot, like shoot more. Like literally we're, we're all we're all, um, you know, super unselfish guys and we're all kind of focused on this winning goal. And we understand, you know, how we're going to have to play together. So, you know, guys are constantly just passing up shots that we would have took in a heartbeat last year and trying to get each other, you know, better shots. So, um, like I said, it's been fun playing with these guys and, and going at each other every single day. And, you know, I don't think chemistry is going to be <laughs> going to be the problem for us at all. Is that something you personally, I mean, you know, you've had individual success. You were at Minnesota for several years, Pitt. Um, you haven't had the great team success, though. It's not a criticism of you in any way, Coach Patino, anything like that. But, you know, you now have a team that is ranked in the top five coming into the preseason with a lot of excitement around it. Uh, how important is it for you to not only continue to, to evolve as a basketball player, put yourself in position to get drafted next year, but to have on the court win-loss success as well? Um, super important. Like you said, um, it hasn't happened for me on this level yet. And, you know, I consider myself a winner. I've won all my life. So, you know, I definitely don't want to um, kind of leave without having my imprint on college basketball. I want to go out on top, want to go out, you know, on Monday night, cutting down the net. So, you know, I want to win at the highest level and I want to be remembered for, you know, being a winner. Last one. I just mentioned it. AP poll came out this week. You guys are in the top five, man. You guys are in the top five. Um, we know, we know what Texas football means to that university. How much buzz can you guys feel on campus and in the fan base with what you guys have the potential to do on the basketball court? Um, it's been huge, um, a lot part to, you know, what coach has been doing around campus and, and in the community to, you know, kind of rejuvenate it and revive it. But, 
you know, uh, can definitely feel a lot of energy and hype and buzz around our team. You know, people are excited. They, they see the roster as well. And obviously, they see, you know, what's, what's being written and, and the polls and things like that. But, you know, we're, we're just focused on, you know, playing the best that we can, being the hardest playing team, the toughest playing team, and, and getting better every single day so that, you know, we can go out and perform for the fans at Frank Irwin. Marcus Carr, Bob Cousy Award. Again, the uh, nominees were announced earlier this week among the top point guards in college basketball. We'll find out if you're the top one by the end of the year. Would not surprise me if you got that award. And we're talking again in uh, April, May. Hopefully we'll be talking in April at the Final Four in New Orleans. But uh, Marcus, man, I appreciate the time. Big 12 Media Days, Texas basketball. Uh, this was great. Thank you for the time. Thank you for making a little bit of time to speak with us. And we'll talk soon, okay? Sir, thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.